I know what it is. This is like Ronald McDonald. That's what this is. That's what this look is. Dear Hollywood, what it's really like to be an influencer. What does it mean to be an influencer anyway? I figured it could be helpful to start with my experience of becoming a quote-unquote influencer, which is a tale of severe reluctance and feeling embarrassed to be associated with the word initially, but this will hopefully help us contextualize the role social media plays for Hollywood performers, including the present generation of child actors. And then, as I explain my transition into full-time content creation, we can get to know this other segment of kids who went straight through the gates of influencer land. They did not pass go, they did not collect $200. Once upon a time, Camp Rock became a traveling music tour. Papa Jonas had each of us make a Twitter account to promote the tour and get people excited. He explained there'd be this component called followers. People could follow you. Well, as a teen, I remember telling Joe, I predict in a few years, everyone's going to be obsessed with gaining followers, but no one's going to focus on what it means to lead. We'll forsake quality for views pretty astute baby stoner. I recognized an upside to social media, which was that everyone could have a microphone and be heard, not just celebrities. But I also recognized the downside, which was everybody could have a microphone and be heard. With little to no quality control or fact-checking or training in how to be a responsible public figure. Admit it. Social media is kind of like a global choir, but everyone's singing in a different key. And off-key. Like, maybe we all could have benefited from a couple of voice lessons. So, for the tour, I reluctantly started my account to build an audience. I tried to at least use it as a force for good. I was posting, you know, motivational quotes and such. It also felt like a special opportunity to reclaim my own voice beyond my entertainment persona. Maybe I could be more than the little girl in the Missy Elliott video. I could be a three-dimensional human with other skills and passions. Well, my follower count increased because of the tour and my previous fan base. Seeing numbers climb in real time was surreal. A little intoxicating, a little intimidating. Like, yes, you want people to show up to your birthday, but then the whole tri-state area does. Formerly, the only metrics we got as actors were the occasional network ratings and box office numbers, so this direct feedback was really stimulating. After our last show, my follower count became stagnant, which is normal, except in Hollywood, where momentum is your ticket to opportunity. I needed to figure out a strategy if I wanted to maintain growth. And I wouldn't have a team or music label or network helping, so this would be a whole new skill set and process. Let me tell you, I had no idea of the full-time job that I was adding to my plate. But there were reasons for me to do it, not just for fame. Entertainment networks were starting to look for actors with followers to hire them, because it meant... You could bring a built-in audience to market to when the project released. And this new group of people called influencers who had never acted before were starting to get roles just because they had followers. So a lot of my actor peers scoffed at social media because it was viewed as lesser art, but I recognized it was adapt or die. So out of fear and strategy, 
I ate a full humble pie and risked joining this emerging community. It quickly became evident that a whole new industry was being established, and creators were on their own obsessive grind. In social media land, content is king. That's because platforms reward users who feed the feeds and interact with their new features, filters, and trends. It's literal fuel to your feed. I saw influencers experimenting with posting strategies to increase views and gain followers. I remember thinking, wow, so when I go home after set, I, yeah, I may have some prep for the next day, but I at least try to stop worrying about the film for a few hours. But these creators are living a non-stop movie where they're looking for any moment to be content. And beyond, the algorithms have bottomless stomachs and trends that switch daily, by design, by the way. So the more people post, the more you have to post to be noticed. Insatiable. But if I was going to make any meaningful dent here and not fall behind the way I felt like I fell behind in traditional media... I would need to get ahead quickly and give it a real effort to secure my position. Well, since I'm a trained workaholic, I learned how to produce my own content on the digital hamster wheel. It was like teaching myself camera operation, mixing music, editing, adding metadata, SEO, all of it. In hindsight, I wish I just copied the vloggers who were like filming themselves in their bedroom for fun. Nope, I decided I needed to choreograph, perform, produce, and edit full-on music and dance videos every single week, all out of my own pocket, in hopes for a return in traditional media opportunities. It felt like I had a standard to uphold from my previous work, and I, you know, I couldn't be average, which is that unrelenting perfectionism. Fortunately, after several months of daily grinding, the consistent output yielded audience growth and I caught a tailwind, so long as I kept grinding. This opened up doors to collaborate with other digital creators, such as a kind and talented human named Kurt Schneider. This is where I learned about the power of cross-pollinating audiences. You introduce me to your audience, I'll introduce you to mine, and we can combine fans and viewership. Foreshadow to influencer houses. Anyways, Kurt invited me to join him for a few videos that were sponsored by brands, which opened my eyes to this new landscape of brand deals. As I continued to make inroads into the influencer community, I learned that early YouTubers were making bank. Like, I had spent a decade trying to master acting, singing, dancing, just so I could audition for gigs that paid $125, and some YouTubers were pulling six-figure deals for a one-minute video? This was eye-opening and sometimes painful to swallow, but I thought... I guess I'll stick with it a little longer. There seems to be more promise here than traditional media. By the way, the early days of making bank have shifted a lot. Brands figured out that throwing money at influencers doesn't always convert to sales. So the criteria is different now. More on that later. Anyways, during this period, I decided to slowly stop auditioning and focus more energy on becoming a content creator full-time. So I added a digital brand agent and digital media lawyer to the team. Remember, the rules around here are different. Wider funnel, looser rules, fewer protections. Unlike folks who got directly into content creation with no industry experience, I had the privilege of anticipating complexities and I had the access to specialists. I refused to repeat my past dynamics with teams who'd taken advantage of me. 
and we celebrate that growth, baby stoner. Meanwhile, it was off to the races. As I searched the weekly pop charts to find songs to cover, I began to feel the absurd demand from followers and the algorithm. Once you start feeding them, they want more covers, more access to your personal life, more original art, while also heaping on more criticism, of course. In some way, it was special knowing that people did care about my independent work, but it was also exhausting because they didn't know that I had taken on the workload of a production company as one human and that I wasn't making the kind of money other creators were. Regardless, I gave more. I adapted my content to digital standards because former child actors are master chameleons for the audience and ruthless workaholics and we refuse to die off in natural selection. And after a few years of head down focus, I won a streamy for my channel. And that felt amazing because I'd never had that kind of validation in Hollywood. I thought, okay, maybe I belong here more. In some ways, social media was, you know, painted as a counterculture to Hollywood, where the outcasts and the freaks could belong, or simply people who didn't care about celebrity. Maybe this was my ticket. Slowly, I started to release my grip on staying in Hollywood. And I started to lean into digital spaces even further and find other ways to support myself financially. Additionally, I appreciated the unexpected opportunity to explore something I was terrified of, being truly authentic. Unlike the polished and glamorous life of celebrities, early social media culture celebrated people who were real. Nowadays, that's no longer really the case, but I was daring to believe that I didn't have to be in performance mode day and night. That after 20 years of never leaving the house without makeup, for fear of being called a mess, it might be okay to show my real face here. One of the biggest changes to adapt to publicly was the 24-7 access people had to me. The barrage of comments, DMs, and direct feedback that land in your lap at all hours of the day. It's a lot. I used to think fan mail and magazine gossip and meet and greets were a lot. Whew. Nowadays, one minute after the other, one message after the other, you hear the best and the worst things you can fathom about yourself. It's such an astronomical amount of information input and confusing clash of perspectives. Within five minutes, I'll read that I'm a hero and a demon. I'm a washed up narcissist and I deserve more. In one note, I ruined someone's life and in the next, I was the reason someone's still alive. The thick skin that I'd learned how to have as a kid actor now had to morph into an even thicker skin for social media. And while I wanted to be authentic, I still recognized that I needed to wear some kind of a mask. Simple wisdom could tell you that it wasn't safe or necessary to be 100% transparent. The mask, aka the curated online self, was equally a protective shield to guard the tiny ounce of personal privacy I had left, but also it became the personal and professional brand that I projected into the world. Did I want to be an influencer? who spoke their mind, who posted bathing suit photos, who shared political views. What would I include and what would I omit? Now, as I discuss all these layers in this emerging digital space, imagine being a kid actor who's already trying to learn the game of Hollywood and play it to win. And now they're told by their agents that 
the need to also get on social media, that it's a necessary marketing tool that improves your chances of making it in Hollywood. Imagine adding the full-time job of the production company I just described to their plate of performance training, not to mention school, and just growing up. Imagine them reading comments, thousands of comments that build them up and tear them down one after the other. I think about the cast of Stranger Things and how for a while, even though I'm not familiar with the show at all, it was all over my Explore page and people were commenting all kinds of praise and hatred like right next to each other. A lot of Netflix shows seem to send actors' followings up overnight. So imagine these kids learning to tweak their image and their brand identity until they find what gets the most views and followers, while also trying to please Hollywood executives and contracts. And this doesn't even get into the territory of what happens if they start making money off of this. And then next, imagine if the kid is not an actor, had no training or preparation whatsoever, and just posted some videos that went viral and found themselves on this digital hamster wheel with no real guidance. No matter how a kid lands on Instagram with a million followers, it's a hell of a lot to navigate. So I'm just gently planting seeds that we'll explore further soon. One interesting thing I observed in my personal journey was that I had basically transferred the traditional media pressures over to social media. But instead of a TV network enacting these pressures on me, I was voluntarily pressuring myself. The comparison culture, unrealistic beauty standards, need for high metrics, the competition and insatiable demand... It existed here too, but instead of TV networks being the ones pitting an actor against the other, I voluntarily compared myself to other creators by browsing their profiles and figuring out how to improve my content to win algorithmic favor. Instead of magazines photoshopping my body, I now felt like I needed to download apps and alter my appearance. Instead of a network telling me the show ratings were down and we need something spicy and controversial to get attention... I studied my analytics and optimized my content calendar accordingly. There's nothing like that moment when you realize you've become the person or thing that hurt you the most. Well, I didn't want to uphold that pattern of workaholism and losing myself because, remember, it landed me in rehab the first time. So I've made intentional adjustments and I continue to do so. But not everyone has this previous experience or foresight. Now I'm watching a whole generation of young creators burning out and losing themselves with little to no guidance in how to manage their well-being and personal development in the public eye. And yes, kids who aren't influencers or performers are also facing these pressures as they grow up online. And we need to talk about it as a society. In fact, I'd love to know... Do you feel some of these pressures, comparing yourself to other people's posts, altering images, FOMO, the little rush you get when a picture gets likes? Do you feel some of the complexities of social media being in bed with capitalism, with politics and government? Do you feel any concerns around data, privacy? How does social media affect your mental health? What's been helpful versus hurtful? These are complicated matters for even the brightest adults. It's intense to think about young people managing all of this at such a vulnerable age, but they are. 
It's not impossible to navigate this mindfully, and it doesn't have to be all bad. But we certainly need better education to prepare people, especially kids, for entering the digital world. And we need better regulations to protect everyone, especially kids. So, now that we've laid out the foundation, you know what the next episode's getting into. Kidfluencers and brand deals. In the meantime... I have an ironic request. If you believe this podcast is valuable or deserves more attention, please give it a like and subscribe to the channel. Because yes, those are the levers we can pull as users to amplify projects. For now, let me know in the comments what stood out to you and um, what questions you have for next week. I really enjoy being on this journey with you. I hope it's been illuminating. And your responses are always so moving. Um, so I will see you soon for more. On the next episode, what happens when your content is shaping cultural trends for an entire generation? When sponsored content is furthering corporate monopolies? What human story do you want to be a part of telling? And do you always have a choice?